May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. We begin Lent the way we always do. We begin it by talking about sin. Sin enters into the lexicon of conversation maybe for the first time in a while. I mean, it's been good to talk about grace and mercy and and celebration and even growth. But Lent forces us back to this very, um, very confrontational word. Of sin, we enumerate sins. We begin by um, by coming and uh, enumerating the Ten Commandments, admitting our failure to keep them. Um, we go through uh, a litany of sins and failures, and pray that the Lord would give us strength to um, to amend our ways. We admit our failures, and we're fixing to do it in a little bit more. Fixing that little Kentucky um, kind of lifestyle kind of crept right back in there, didn't it? We're going to, in a little while, um, ad- uh, admit uh, sin again that happens by our own fault, through our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. The things that we've done and the things that we've left undone. Some of them not quite uh, prepared They caught us off guard. Others we knew going in, and it still happened. And then we'll do what we do when we deal with sin, is we plead for mercy. God, have mercy upon us. You know, don't deal with us the way that we deserve. I've often said to you, and maybe you you can remember this one, but the difference between grace and mercy is that grace is that we're asking for something that we do not deserve. Grace and gift are connected in, in, in many languages, especially in, in Greek, the language of the New Testament, are essentially the same word, grace and gift. We're, we're asking for a gift. Give us the grace to do this or that. Mercy is asking us not to get what we do deserve. It's the child who says to the parent, please, please, I'm sorry, don't punish me. But what is sin? Hamatia in Greek. It's, it's literally a, a metaphor from archery. Um, it literally means to be shooting an arrow at a target and to miss. It's to miss the mark. And, um, and to miss the mark, uh, it sounds somewhat tame. Of course we miss the mark. You know, I'm, I'm not an expert archer. I don't know if any of you remember the Barcelona Olympics. Um, there was a, a man who was a, a, an amputee. I think he had one leg and, and then a prosthetic on the other. And, um, and he comes out outside of the stadium. He's outside of this massive Olympic stadium. And the, um, the, the Olympic torch was in this big basin at the top of it. And it's a windy day. And with a single arrow, he pulls it out. He shoots it. I mean, imagine shooting at the top of Cleveland Brown Stadium. And he hits the, the basin perfectly. And the torch lights up. And it was a fantastic scene. An archer who didn't miss the mark. But I'm cynical like you. You know, I'm thinking, how many times did he practice it this week? Well, I found out one time, and it was it was unbelievable. Like, he was literally an expert marksman, had shot that thing maybe hundreds of times and missed only one time. He knew he was going to hit the target. When he, if he had missed the target, it would have been a shot. But not to the rest of us, because... We're not like that. We miss the mark all the time. And if somebody handed us an arrow and told us to shoot it into a basin on the top of a building, you might as well just say lights out. You better get up there with a match because this is not going to happen. 
So what do we do when we miss the mark? When it's not an arrow, but it's about the way that we live, about the choices that we make, about the behaviors that we, we have to admit to. I think that's the first thing, isn't it? Sin requires admission. We have to own up to it. We cannot blame it on somebody else. We live in a culture of victims, right? We, everybody's a victim. Nobody has responsibility. And, and Lent comes to us at the beginning of it with Ash Wednesday and all the scripture passages and say, no, this is about our conduct individually before God and communally before the Lord. Admit it. And then a great word in, in, uh, in Hebrew, shuv, repent. Shuv in Hebrew literally means to turn your body around, to go the other direction. It's going down the road, you know, and you you realize that you missed your turn, and you look around for the police officer, and you do a U-turn, and you go the opposite direction. That's shuv, not looking for a police officer, but turning around and going the opposite way. It's about a lifestyle change that is 180 degrees opposite the way that you were going. And then to quit, to say, this is it. I'm done. I've, I've, I've used this illustration before. Pretend it's the first time you've ever heard it, if you remember it. But there's a story of this bishop who was 90 years old, and he was returning to a parish that he had served as a, as a rector many, many years before, and they were honoring him, and, and um, he didn't know what he was doing. He was there, and they said, would you speak to the children in front of the, the congregation? Will you give a little children's talk? And he said, well, yes, but I have no idea what I would say to him. And so he just started giving them words, you know. What does this word mean and this word mean? And he asked for the word repentance. And there were all kinds of children who were raising their hands, and they would say things like, isn't that when you're sorry? And he says, well, that's sort of it. And isn't it when you feel guilty? And he says, yes, that's sort of it. And, and there's a little girl who's wildly raising her hand, and he thinks that there's no way she could possibly know, so he skips over her and asks a few more. Everybody gets close, but nobody lands on it. He finally says to the little girl, well, honey, what do you think it is? And she says, isn't that when you're sorry enough to quit? And he says, that's exactly what repentance is. It's when you're sorry enough to quit. And yet that still leaves us with this lingering need that we need forgiveness. We cannot forgive ourselves. We can admit, we can own up, we can take responsibility, we can turn from our behavior, and we can cease to do it. But that does not deal with the sin itself. It still must be dealt with. We need forgiveness. And so as we enter into the Lenten season, it starts with sort of two simultaneous reminders, two two sort of side-by-side tracks, parallel tracks. One is, we've all missed the mark. Look around. Well, don't look around. Just look where you're looking. All of us are sinners. All of us missed the mark. If you don't think I do, I'm sorry. Please hang around me for 24 straight hours, and you'll know that's not true. We all miss the mark. We all do that. And Lent says to us, don't excuse yourself. Don't let yourself off the hook. Don't act like it's not true. It is true. Second track is this. We are all mortal. We are all going to die. And we are going to face the Lord. Oh, I know. Some of us may be here at the return. Okay, that's possible. Um, I don't know how God's working that out. By and large, better chance that we are all going to die. And Lent says to us this. You and I, we have one life to live. We have one approach at this. It matters how we live this life. It matters how we live this life. 
It matters if the, the, the core decision that we make is if we will follow Jesus or not. And that's really what Lent forces us to make the decision about. And so when you look at the gospel, if you listen to, to the passage that, it was, uh, that was read just a moment ago, Jesus starts out right here in the middle of the Sermon on the, on the Mount, and he says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. It doesn't mean that you can't, you know, be noticed by other people. Listen, if you're living a life like Jesus, people are going to notice you, right? It'd be impossible not to notice. That's not the point. What is the point? The point is don't do it for other people. Don't do it in order to get a reputation. Because what we're doing when we do that is trying to garner something for ourselves. To be self-important. Don't practice your righteousness before other people. You know why he says it? He goes through and he tells us time and time again. Because your father sees you. He knows what's going on. He sees you in secret. This issue of integrity. That we are in public what we are in private. That, that's the core issue here. Don't practice your righteousness before other people. There are people who have fantastic reputations. And then we are shocked. We are shocked. Famous comedian. Shocked. We thought he was like America's father. I watched him on television every Thursday night when I was growing up. And you probably... like This had to be like the greatest person in the world. And I find out most likely not. Most likely a real villain. doesn't matter what the public reputation is. It matters what the private reputation is. It matters the reputation that we have before God Almighty. And so that's why we take these ashes on our foreheads. This mark that you may choose to receive and admit, uh, receive in just a moment. And the mark says this. Will you admit your failures? Will you admit them? Will you own up to it? Will you take this mark as a mark of, of sadness over your own behavior, over my own behavior? Will we turn from them? This is a question I'm going to ask you. It's a question I'm make Chris ask me. Will you repent and believe the gospel? Will you turn and believe the gospel? And what, by believing the gospel, will you follow Jesus? We follow him in all the places that it matters. We follow him in your marriage. We follow him at your school or at your work. We follow him with your career, with the decisions that you make. Is work really about making money? I, I hope you all become enormously wealthy and then you tithe on it. You know, I, I want you all to do that, every one of you. I want you to be, you know. Nothing wrong with that. I have no axe to grind with wealth. But working for money is a different thing. Give your life. Give your work for something that means something to you and to the world. Embrace the gospel with children. Your children and other people's children. In community. To serve others rather than serving ourselves. That we make this world better for other people. Um, I was reading uh, today about calibrating a compass. 
I guess I just sort of thought compasses came into the world, you know, like dropped out of the sky, and they worked. Um, apparently not. Apparently, apparently, and I, I didn't even know this, that there's a difference between magnetic north and true north, and that, that true north and magnetic north might be a thousand miles apart, depending on where you are. And so they have developed these maps so that you can put your compass down and, and, and calibrate it. We live in a world that offers a true north that is fake. It's wrong. It is not true north. And you can tell it when somebody encourages you to do what's best for you. <laughs> you know, that's, that's sort of the, the dead giveaway. Jesus says, follow me. It is going to be a radical way to live. But I promise you, it will so calibrate your lives that you will never regret it. Oh, you, I don't know if you remember the story of the rich young ruler. Um, he, he walks away sad because he has all this wealth. And, and Peter says, hey, you know what? Look at us. You know, we did it. We left everything and came and followed you. Do you remember what Jesus says to him? No one's left anything in this life that they will not receive back a hundredfold in this life and in the next. Lent says, this is a tough journey. It's an honest one. It's a courageous one. Come, let's walk it together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.